Well, exit boog. It's a good day. Welcome back to Trails Tales in Spruce Tea. Today, Frank takes listeners on a journey to harvest white ash here in Ulsutkuk. We then follow him back to the basket shop where he pounds the stick of wood into splints and then coaches me as we weave a small basket. I'm the producer, Shallon Jodry, and the flute music in this episode is by Rose Muse. So today we've got our axe and pulp saw. Sometimes we use the power saw to cut down the tree, but if it's not too big, sometimes it's just as easy to do it manually with, uh, with some of the, the older methods. Over here, in, uh, in around this, this, this edge of this swamp, sometimes the water will, uh, will slow the growth of that tree down. So the, the, the the growth rings uh, tighter together They're, they'll be finer and so that's so that's what we want each one of them growth rings will make one splint of, of the basket so sometimes when you get in an area where where there's a, a swamp and the trees a little way from from the water it'll uh, it'll grow a little slower plus all the other competition with the softwood and all the other trees is also another uh, reason why if there's a lot of competition then then the tree will slow down growing so sometimes when you find ash trees out in a in an old field or something like that they they might be you know 10 12 inches round but they're only you know 10 15 years old and the growth rings are a quarter of an inch wide and and uh, that's not uh very good for making baskets and actually we can't make baskets out of it at all but uh well we can but there's another method to it but anyway so here we are and uh, so this tree right here, you know, it, it's about uh, it's about 10, 12 inches, you know, in diameter, and that would be a good size because you don't want it too small, but you don't want it too big either. And uh, we can get about a section here. I'm hoping we're going to be able to get a section out of this about four and a half to five feet long, and that'd be perfect for most of the baskets that I make. There's no knots in it. You can see, uh, see other than up here. You know, around four or five feet, there's that knot up here we'll have to be careful of. Um, and there's no twists. The tree's growing pretty straight. It's not, it's growing nice. It's not on an angle, so there's no stress on one side more than the other. So that's uh, some of the characteristics you just look for. You know, I remember the elders, some of the elders say, you know, that when you take something from the forest, you should always, always leave something. And sometimes, you know, when we're, we're dealing with you know, all living things, even trees, you know, I think if we're going to take that tree's life, we should at least, you know, thank that tree for giving up its, if its life and that we do the best we can with our mind and our heart and our hands. And so uh, hopefully this tree is going to make some beautiful baskets. And if you stop and think about it, you know, if that tree was cut for firewood, you know, it might be worth, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 bucks at the max. But you know, if that tree turns out to be any kind of tree at all, and if I can make, you know, three or four pack baskets out of it, and maybe some smaller baskets, you know, that tree could be worth well over a thousand dollars, maybe closer to two thousand dollars. So, mm. if you start thinking about that added value, and so, uh, it's it's pretty amazing if you can go out and 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 build that kind of relationship with your forest, you know, one tree at a time, and and figuring out what its full value is. You know, I think it's really important that we, we 
we start thinking about that, you know, the way we do forest practice and start adding all these other important things, you know, adding in the people that use these trees for other things other than just, uh, you know, pulp and paper and, and logs and other things. So there's there's other uses for for, for these for some of this timber that uh, that is around here. And it's a shame to see a stick like that in a wood pile that, mm -hmm. you know, that has dried out and been wasted and, and thinking what, what its full potential might have been. But anyways, enough talking about that. Let's get to work. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. It's gonna be probably close to 100 pounds by the time we get that cut down. So we'll need to do some work here in the, in the forest with it and split it in half and take the heartwood out of it and stuff like that before we take it back to the shop. Here we are, we're back to the, the basket shop and uh, we've got our wood here, so let's grab a stick of this and go inside. Here we go. Oh, that was a good oh. trip. We've actually cut that stick of wood in half and then we quartered it and now I have one eighth. So if you look down on the top, it looks like a piece of pie. And you can see the growth rings running all parallel here. So what we want to do is we'll cut the heart out here and that'll that'll square the growth rings up so we can start. So we'll bring it over here. Frank then sat on his workhorse and secured the ash. And then with his two-handled draw knife, he shaved off the angled sides to square it up. We'll just take some of it off here and... Uh, and get that down so it's nice and square and we'll squirrel and grow things up so because the next process will be we'll be pounding it and separating them separating them growth rings today frank was pounding out the stick of ash manually with his mallet the whole process takes about 10 to 15 minutes of pounding each end two to four times you can see the splints starting to separate now, like the, the growth rings. So sometimes what we do is when we, we have little end pieces that we had, we don't know what to do with, and you know, if it's a foot long or so, we'll take the stick of wood and we'll pound just part of it, maybe, you know, five, six inches of it, and we'll leave the rest as a handle. And we'll just separate the very end of it. And we call that a, a jigamoggin. keep tapping, keep time with songs and stuff like that. So we use them a lot in our circles and get people to sing with them and or just play along. You know, I always tell people that uh, the easiest part of making a basket is the weaving. Everything else is just really hard manual labor. That was a lot of work. You have to really look hard and you got to know your wood. And, and so there's the inside that's closest to the heart. And then there's the outside that's closer to the bark. And actually, if you look really close, the, the, the splint will be a little concave mm -hmm. that you can tell. So... What'll happen is, is that the fiber on the outside is a lot coarser than the fiber on the inside. 
and so we'll we'll shave this up and if you press down not too hard but just press down and angle it whatever feels comfortable and how much you know of the the wood you want to take off with one scrape and so if you if you see it it just starts curling up and it just starts coming off in a big roll of of fiber and so you do that a couple times and and it'll really Take a lot of that fiber off and, it, and it'll really get smooth and, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, shiny. Just huh? Yeah, lots of splints, and we got enough to actually make a, a small basket. You take three splints, you want them about the same thickness, and, and these are what we call our standards. These are the ones that you'll use to, uh, to be your uprights that'll go straight up, and, uh, and then we'll use the weavers and they'll fill in. And so we'll end up with like a little checkered board. And so here we go. We'll put one, two, three, and then we'll take the other one, take one of the other three, and we'll weave it in and out. So you get that one in there. And that's the other thing. We're always working from the center out. And uh, and and the other thing that I had said a little while ago is that you know, make sure that the splints are always. Uh, so right now they're the, the heart of the tree is looking at us so and we're going to start weaving up so all the the tree is going to bend inward and it's just like us as human beings you know we can bend forward a lot easier than we can bend backwards mm -hmm. it's the same thing with the wood mm -hmm. the wood can bend inward a lot better than it can bend backwards right. so that's something to remember So I know in the ecology circles where uh, where I work in species at risk that a lot of people are talking about black ash because it, provincially it's a threatened species. The population is relatively low. We're also worried about the incoming uh, emerald ash borer. But it's a really uh, it's a really nice wood to be working with for basket making is what everybody's saying. But you use white ash. So um, have you ever worked with black ash yourself? Like, wh what would you say the difference is? Well, the one thing is that I, I use more white ash than I've ever weaved with black ash. And actually, personally, I've never found a black ash in this area that was, you know, suitable for, for making baskets. Mm. I've gone to other places where people you know, have stands of black ash that I've, uh, that they've given me black ash and I brought it home and used it and, and, and it works quite fine. And, and, and I remember quite a few years ago, there was people that was, you know, actually bringing it in from like New Brunswick and, and, uh, by truckloads. Yeah. And, there's and, more in New Brunswick. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they would, uh, they would sell it, you know, so you could buy a, you know, a stick of wood for 20 or $30. And uh, so you'd have, and I think that's what was probably the most, one of the most common practices. I, I, I can't verify that, but I think, you know, a lot of people in the province of Nova Scotia had been doing a lot of black ash weaving, but they were buying the ash off of these people okay. that were bringing it in from New Brunswick, right. either directly or indirectly, they were, they were buying it. So, so I think they're, you know, I, I know up and around Wentworth and places like that, up in the middle, upper part of the province, there's there's you know there's pretty good stands of black ash, but uh, down this area, this end in Queens County, Digby County, that area, there 
there's some, but it's 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 not great. And we found a few sticks that you know could be used for basket weaving, and uh, but because it's endangered, it's better to use it just to uh, use it as part of the recovery, you know, strategy, and just leave it there as a seed tree and and uh, and just monitor it and you know see what happens to it over the next while, you know, and. and uh, uh, and, and it's hard to say if one's better than the other. Uh, I, I know they both have different characteristics, but you know, even within the white ash realm of trees, I find some work out very easily, and others uh, can be very stubborn and very wiry. And it takes <laughs> a lot true. more work to to. So it depends on on where you get the wood, where you harvest it, and and there's no guarantee that that, that stick is gonna work well or or if it's not so yeah it's true some some days you come inside and you say oh that sticks just so difficult it's falling apart it's too dry too rough and some days you come in all excited because it's been pounding and splitting really nicely so yeah even within white ash that uh, really seems like the environment in which it has grown has a lot more to do with um, yeah. with it than the species reminds you a little bit about people <laughs> yes. Some are really easy to work with, and some are quite hard. <laughs> the where they were brought up, I guess. everything nice and square make sure all your splints are nice and square and going parallel with each other because that'll really help with you know the, the way the basket will, will work up did you ever manage to um, make around here somewhere you have a little cup did you ever manage to get it tight enough weave that you can put water in it oh yes <laughs> the only thing is i had to freeze it first <laughs> we'll probably want to go up you know six or seven inches high with this basket so we're going to need quite a few Quite a few fillers, so let's let's sit here and cut some up. Here's a pair of scissors for you, and, and we'll just keep cutting until we have enough to keep weaving. Pull the splint over a little bit, and, and then push it down, and then just put the put the basket over your knee and kind of shape it a little bit, and because it's really pliable, you can do a lot with it. Especially and maybe you wet. might want to get it wet and a little bit more uh, moisture in it, and that'll even allow it to. Uh, bend a little bit more so you can shape a little more get the, the belly into it make it rounder bring the bring the top in a bit so now we're to the point now where once again it's it's a it's a it's a time thing so the the basket's still a little wet from us dipping water so let's go put it over here on the rack here by the stove there we left the baskets clamped to a line to air dry by the wood stove for a few days the longer the baskets dry the more the wood shrinks after that time, we would sit back down with the dry baskets and push each of the splints down. This will make a tighter basket. After that process, Frank bends the top of the splints into the baskets and then carves a piece of maple for hoops, rims, and handles to finish them off. And you'll have this 
beautiful basket that's got no nails or rivets in it and it's <laughs> something that you've made from your hands and from the forest and you've spent the last you know two or three days out in the forest building a relationship with this tree and uh drinking lots of tea and <laughs> uh and spending time with me <laughs> how much better can life get <laughs> Sometimes we think that conservation is about not touching a plot of land anymore as humans, you know, just let it be. But from an Indigenous perspective, the more that we continue to even harvest things from the land, it's so great. And we talked about this in the Cranberry episode, that even by doing that, then you're you're spending time out there on the land and you're understanding and learning from the land even if you don't really necessarily you know you're not taking calculations it's all you know all in observation and and then you realize how much you need each individual tree and you know the the materials and the food and the medicine so I would argue that in conservation one of the things we need to do more of is make sure that the youth are learning what to eat and what to use from the land and spending time on the land and that uh, we become part of the ecosystem. Just that we're, we're trying to make sure that we're not taking too much more than what the land can actually give. You know, that we're still thinking about those future generations to be able to future basket makers. You know, here we are on this, this reserve of, you know, 1,600 acres. And, and we've had people harvesting ash off of this land for several generations. And I'm still able to go out on the land mm -hmm. and harvest ash. And I'm hoping that, you know, there's going to be enough for, you know, more generations to come in and harvest. So, you know, how do we, how do we do that? Sometimes it's not a matter of what we do, it's what we don't do is really important. I think it's important that you, you know the land. I think you build a relationship with the land because you might be out looking for ash, but you're being exposed to all this other things that mm -hmm. is so important. And it's just, it's just being, it's just being part of that, you know, organic cycle, you know, and just saying, well, when do we take something? How do we take it? What do we put back? You know, all these things we have to keep thinking about. And, you know, you walk through the forest and you see a, an old stump there and it says, oh, I remember 40 years ago being here with an old timer and we cut that tree and, and there's still some of the baskets that I remember that he made out mm -hmm. of it still, still mm -hmm. floating around in the community. Uh, there's this history, there's, there's documents of time. And, uh, and for myself to be walking through the woods and, Somebody will say, "Oh, that's a beautiful basket you got on your, 
on your back. I said, oh, well, come on with me. Let's go over here. I'll show you where it came from. <laughs> you know, yeah. Things like that. Is, uh, we can't do that very often in today's world. No. Know I where mean, things come from. That's right. You yeah. know, some of the things that there's other stuff I got here that's probably got thousands and thousands and thousands of miles on it to get mm -hmm. here. And then here's this basket that's, you know, come from a kilometer and a half away. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's so important for our well-being, not as just indigenous people, but for our for the human race. Mm -hmm. I think we need to understand our relationship with the land and not just seeing things after it's been produced and reproduced and 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 uh, comes back to you in some other form. And that these are all things that you can't teach with a book or to stand up in a classroom and and just say it. These are the things that yeah. for our youth, but like you said, but even non non Mi'kmaq youth, yeah. for for this kind of education to have a relationship to the forest, and there's That's no right. there's no replacement for that. for listening to Trails, Tales, and Spruce Tea. We're your hosts, Shallon Jodry and Frank Muse. Let's finish off with a song. You and I and the ash tree. <laughs>